0: Today's scripture reading comes from Mark 1, verses 1 through 4. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord for us. Well, hey, everyone. Great to be together this morning. Anyone else excited to be here? What a joy to see young people as well, uh, and what a great heartfelt prayer from Jeremy uh, that really gave voice for all of us um, as we launch our young people into whatever the next season is. Uh, we do want them to know that we're so proud of them and excited for all God has in store. Uh, Ryan, by the way, your shoes untied. It is grad season. It's fun to go to grad parties and celebrate people. Uh, And it will soon be vacation season. Anyone have a vacation planned for the next couple of weeks or a couple of months? Anyone going to go on a trip, you're excited for hitting the road and sunshine on your shoulders that makes you happy? Uh, It's exciting when you have that opportunity. And even in our age of GPS that tells us exactly where to go, I want to point out that Uh, it's significant when you see the signs that point you along the way on those trips. They're helpful when you see, oh, that's 30 East, oh, that's 77 South. When you see that, uh, welcome to Ohio, or welcome to Tennessee, or welcome to Florida, whatever it is, those signs are actually very helpful when we see those. Did you hear about the family that drove all the way down to Disney World? They saw the sign that said, Disney World left. So they turned around and went home. signs help us, or at least they should help us get to where we need to go. And I'd like to suggest this morning that you and I should also be like signs, that we should point people the right way to go, that we should point people to Jesus. If anyone did this, if anyone modeled this for us, it's John the Baptist. We heard the scripture reading about him. We saw a quick video just a moment ago. It's John the Baptist who he himself was a great man. He was an amazing person who had followers. He was a cousin of Jesus. And yet, he didn't want the spotlight. He wanted only to point others to Jesus. And that's just what we're going to talk about today. I'm John i thrilled that you're with us today, and I pray that through our time together, your heart grows stronger and your faith grows deeper. So I am excited that we're starting a brand new sermon series called Remarkable. So we're going to spend the next several weeks, many weeks, in the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. So let me give a few introductory comments to this particular gospel before we jump into the message for today, which is in uh, Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, the very first section is where we'll be. But... Um, the author of this gospel is widely accepted to be a, a man named John Mark. He was not one of the twelve disciples, but he did accompany Paul on his first missionary journey. This is the guy, if you remember the story from Acts chapter 15, who caused the sharp dispute, the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. He is a cousin of Barnabas. He's a very close and personal friend of Peter. Now, some sources attribute this particular gospel ...to Peter, saying Peter's the one that wrote it. But the earliest manuscripts give it the title, The Gospel According to Mark. It was the first of the four gospels written, written before the others. It records more miracles than the other gospel accounts. It is kind of a gospel of action. In fact, this past winter, uh, those of our young people who participated in Bible quizzing, this is what they quizzed over. They did the entire book of Mark. And they know that, that the most, one uh, I of, don't, I don't know if it's the most, but one of the most common words as you read through the book of Mark is immediately. <laughs> it, it's action-packed, and it all happens, and it all happens right now. It's sort of from a storyteller point of view. It's a, it's a great, easy gospel to read that's just filled with Jesus as man of action Um, Find the lost heal the broken feed the hungry release the prisoner And and then a charge to us as we read it believe in jesus And do it immediately. So the theme the overarching theme in this book in this gospel of mark is That jesus christ is the son of god That jesus christ is the son of god and that he is amazing That he is remarkable. In fact, we have this in uh, Mark chapter six and verse two. Here's here's what it says. Uh, he began teaching, that's Jesus. He began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What's this wisdom that's been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? And so we see over and over and over again, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he is remarkable. He's a remarkable savior. So what God has given us, really, as we look at the the four gospel accounts, God has given us these four different gospels, but they all give the, the complete picture of the good news of Jesus. Matthew and John were two of the disciples. They spent like almost every day for three years in relationship, in ministry with Jesus. Luke, of course, is the physician. He's one who was very educated. He's sort of a historian. He was um, a missionary for the early Christian church. And then, as I said, Mark is the guy who tells the stories and shows Jesus as man of action and then encourages you and I, as we read this gospel, we're encouraged to bold Christian living. Like, Jesus is remarkable and amazing, and I want to be a part of God's kingdom because of it. You can probably tell just from my enthusiasm, I love the Gospels. (laughs) I'm biased in my own Bible reading to spend a lot of time in the Gospels because they're filled with the stories of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to experience over these next couple months in the book of Mark. It's just rich with the life and the ministry and the teaching and, of course, ultimately the sacrifice, the resurrection, the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's jump right in. If you've got your Bible, please open it to Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 1. It begins with the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And we've just got to (laughs) stop to say Jesus is the Messiah. Right from the jump, Mark identifies him as the Messiah. It's a Hebrew term. It means anointed one. It refers to that promised redeemer, that one in the Old Testament that was prophesied that is coming, and he's coming, why? To rescue his people. And so Mark identifies it's Jesus. He's here. He is the promised coming Messiah. He is the anointed one. He also says he's the son of God. Son of God. Let's, again, let's just pause there and go, well, what does that mean? Well, what does that mean if we say Jesus is the son of God? Is it like God is married and has children and Jesus is one of them? No. Jesus, scripture teaches us, is actually God. We understand that to be true, that, that Jesus is God. We affirm there is one true God. That God is manifest in three beings. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 1, and in verses 1 through 3, we read this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by who? His Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made The universe, it says this, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That's a description of Jesus from the New Testament. We understand he is the Messiah, he's the promised one, the anointed one who came to redeem, but that he is indeed God. The exact representation of the being of God the Father. Simply put, Jesus is God in human flesh. He's Emmanuel. We talked about this at Christmas time, remember? That he is God with us. He has existed for all of time. He willingly took on the form of a human as a baby and came to earth. And he offered his life as a sacrifice for us. And then the good news, of course, all those who believe in him, who put their trust in him, are part of God's kingdom. We are then saved from an existence apart from him, from an eternity apart from him. And so that's why in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, it says it's the good news about Jesus. It's good news that God has broken into human history, that God has sent His son, Jesus Christ, who is also fully God, that he is indeed the promised savior. And so before we get into the story of John the Baptist and before we get into the the further verses in Mark chapter one, we have right here. Mark one, verse one, the good news that we have a savior. And let me be the first to say that I need a savior. You see, if I had a plumbing problem, I'd need a plumber. And if I had an auto problem, I'd need a mechanic. If I had a legal problem, I'd need a lawyer. But I've got a sin problem. And so I need a savior. And that's exactly what God has sent in his son, Jesus Christ. He sent a savior. The one who was perfect, never sinned, and yet gave his life, offered his shed blood. So that I could be set free, that I could be saved. Spared the eternity that I deserve, apart from God, based on my sin. And yet now, at one with, atoned, because of what Jesus has done. This is the good news right here in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Thank you, God, that you sent the Savior we needed. Because there is sin in the world. In fact, you also have the same problem that I do. (laughs) You also have a sin problem. We've all sinned. We know that in the beginning, when God created humanity, all the way back in Genesis... He created humanity to be in relationship with him. He, he, he created Adam and Eve, and he placed them in the garden. But they sinned against God. And when that fateful day came, that day of disaster, everything changed. Once sin entered into the world, there came sickness, death, and indeed, from the mouth of God, a curse. The one that was most cursed, by the way, from that account in Genesis chapter 3, the one that was most cursed was the serpent. The serpent. And even there, as the effects of sin began to take root, the Lord started to work out his master plan of salvation. Even there, in Genesis chapter 3, God says to the serpent, who is Satan, this is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God promises right here, In Genesis 3.15, there is someone coming, and he's going to defeat you. He's going to have victory over sin and death and evil and Satan and the gates of hell. He promises right there in the third chapter of Scripture, there is one coming, and he's going to crush the serpent. That's the good news from Mark (laughs) 1.1. And so, in order to pave the way for Jesus coming to the people... Bringing his ministry, the Lord sends John the Baptist to pave the way, to make the way, to proclaim this good news. See, this this is the good news. This is the sermon. This is not an original sermon. This is a John the Baptist sermon. To proclaim this good news that there is one coming and to point others to Jesus. Just like those signposts when you're traveling on the highway, John the Baptist is pointing others to Jesus. So Mark chapter 1, let's go to verse 2. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. This is the role of John the Baptist is is to pave the way, to point others to Jesus. And so in verse four, then it says, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so here's the message for us today, my friends, as we're beginning Remarkable, a study in the book of Mark. Our lives, your life and my life, men and women, young and old, should point to Jesus. Just like John the Baptist. Our lives should point to Jesus. And so here's what I want to do with the rest of our time. As I said, we're going to look together at this first section, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. But I want to really point out or highlight three ways that we too can be like John the Baptist in pointing others to Jesus. And the first is with repentance. This is really John's message. This is what he is preaching. He's preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And it's been demonstrated through the act of baptism. So again, the gospel message is this good news. That although we are sinners in need of a savior. That, that we've done wrong and, and so separated ourselves from a loving and holy God. And our, what, what our sins deserve is punishment. That if I repent... That is, I turn from my wrong and wicked ways if I call on the Lord that I am indeed forgiven. I'm forgiven of my sins. And isn't that good news? We're forgiven. We're we're not held accountable for the things we've done, but instead we are given freedom and we're rescued from those things. So so that's the, the good news that he is proclaiming here about repentance. And I just want to point out this, that It's really impossible for us to have a message of good news. It's impossible for us to articulate the gospel without including sin. And it's kind of tempting for us to do that. It's kind of tempting to to have a message that is, God loves you and God is for you and, and that's it. But that's not the full gospel. The full gospel includes the fact that I've done wrong that I've hurt the heart of God. You see, it doesn't really make sense to me that the gospel wouldn't include the idea of sin because what good is forgiveness unless I've done something wrong and stand in need of forgiveness? And so the full gospel includes the fact that we've sinned, that we've done wrong. It's impossible to remove the idea of sin from the full gospel message. Okay, so let's look at verse five. We're in Mark chapter one. It says, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, that is, to John the Baptist. And what were they doing? Confessing their sins. Confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. They, they recognized, like you and I must do, we've messed up, we've done wrong. We have this mark of sin that began with Adam and Eve, And we need to say, I'm sorry, God, and I've missed the mark, God, and forgive me. Oh, God, have mercy on me. That's what they were doing, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, let me say this, as we're talking about John the Baptist this morning. He's not a people pleaser. (laughs) He's not the kind of guy who just falls in line with whatever the current fad is, whatever the current trend is. He marched to the beat of his own drum. He, he seems to not really be all that concerned about what other people think. So let's keep going here. Verse 6. Look at this description of John the Baptist. It says, John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And you go, well, I don't know. Maybe that's what everyone wore in those days. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> he was different and he was unique. And yet, strange as he was, look what's happening here. People are flocking to him. Here's this strange person who dresses in weird clothes and who eats weird things and he's got a message telling people how wrong they are and how sinful they are and yet people are drawn to that. It says a lot about speaking the truth, doesn't it? It says a lot about standing up for and declaring that which God has said to be true and embracing it wholeheartedly that's what John did and the people flocked to him in response to this good news so John the Baptist is he's in the wilderness he's this rugged and unique guy and he's got this tremendous and powerful ministry by the way do you know what John the Baptist and Winnie the Pooh have in common any ideas oh they like honey yeah they also have the same middle name We know, as we look at the character of John the Baptist, that he had the spirit and the power of Elijah. And if you've been here at MCA, you go, oh, I know Elijah. <laughs> I, I know something about his stories. I know something about his bravado and the things he did from, from First and Second Kings. We, we did a recent sermon series on them. Like he, the guy who just stood up to the evil king Ahab, he didn't back down. He looked him right in the eye and told him off. The guy who didn't back down when it was a showdown between one prophet of Yahweh, that is Elijah, and 450 prophets of Baal. We know something about Elijah. He was an awesome guy. And so John is kind of cut from the same cloth. He, is, he operates in the same power and spirit as Elijah. He is paving the way for Jesus, the Messiah. Like in 1775, frontiersman Daniel Boone was blazing a trail through the Cumberland Gap. That's a notch in the Appalachian Mountains. It's at the the intersection of Kentucky, Tennessee, and Virginia. Today it's known as the Wilderness Road. It served as the pathway to the western U.S. for pioneers and for settlers. It's really what led to Kentucky becoming the 15th state in 1792. And so John the Baptist is doing the exact same thing, but he's not clearing a path over mountains and through rivers. He's clearing a path through sin, through evil, through wickedness. And he is preparing the way for Jesus. He's he's making straight that path for the one who is coming, the Messiah, the anointed one, the prophesied one. And what is he preaching? Repentance. He's preaching repentance of sins. And listen, I just want to point out how critical this is for each and every one of us in our own faith journey. For each and every one of us, it's important for us to recognize we've got to prepare our hearts for Jesus to be king, for Jesus to be Messiah, to be in right relationship with Christ, that we've got to open our hearts to him and we've got to repent of our sin. Like King David did in Psalm 51. And here's what he writes in verse 17. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. He says, you will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. So could I ask you this morning? When was the last time you found yourself on your knees? Face down before the almighty God. Crying out for mercy. Asking his forgiveness. Confessing sin. Because I don't think you're perfect. And don't tell me that you're without sin. (laughs) 1 John 1 tells us. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. If we claim we've not sinned, John says, we make him out to be a liar. His word is not in us. When was the last time, friend, that you found yourself face down before the almighty God? Lord, I've sinned. I've sinned against you, I've sinned against my brothers and sisters, and I'm sorry, oh God. This act of repentance and confession is a critical part of each and every one of us. in our faith journey of choosing Jesus as Lord. We must turn from those times we mess up, those mistakes we make. And I want to say today that we respond too flippantly to the sin in our lives. Oh, messed up again. Oh, good thing God forgives. God does forgive you. But it breaks your heart when you hurt God and when you sin against him. And so express that, communicate that, and then embrace this good news that he forgives. So if we want to be like. John the Baptist, if we want to point others to Jesus, we're not only going to preach repentance, we're going to model it in our own lives. When we confess our sins, we prepare for that cleansing that Jesus offers. So you notice that, that what's happening here in Mark 1 is the people are confessing sins. They're seeking the face of God, and then what are they doing? They're entering the waters of baptism. Now, the waters of baptism symbolize being Washed clean being refreshed being made new And if you're here this morning and you are putting your trust in the lord jesus christ And you've turned from your wicked ways and you've cried out to him for his forgiveness and mercy But you've never entered the waters of baptism. Let me encourage you to consider that 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 also is an important step in your faith journey to be cleansed and to publicly confess and state jesus is lord So we're making plans. We're going to do some baptisms this summer And if you would like to be included, if you have questions, come and talk to me about that. Let me know. I would be honored to have those conversations and to include you in taking that next step in your relationship with Christ. Okay, we're talking about John the Baptist. He pointed others to Jesus. We need to be like him. The first way that we can do that is through repentance. The second is through humility. So we're in Mark chapter 1. We've worked up through verses 1 through 6. Let's go to verse 7. It says... And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. So yes, John is uh, preaching repentance. But he is demonstrating humility. Now listen. I don't want to gloss over who John was like he is a great man. He he is also one who had like a miraculous birth. (laughs) He was prophesied about like like his his ministry. His witness is prophesied that he is kind of the the witness to the coming great light. He is a blood relative to the Messiah. His parents also are of this priestly lineage. John is so holy. He's never touched any wine or alcohol. He's a Nazarite. That means he is set apart. He's, he's taken vows to never be made unclean. He's never going to be defiled. Probably never cut his hair. Right? He is great in the sight of God. He's probably good looking too. And we have this verse in Luke 7 verse 28 that says this. Among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Ooh, that might become my new favorite Bible verse. <laughs> So I don't, I don't want to like gloss over the fact that like John the Baptist was great. He was amazing. He, he is a mighty man of God with a powerful ministry. If anyone had reason to think highly of themselves, it's this guy. He has a following. He has disciples. He is a public figure, right? We, we saw that. People are flocking to him. He's preaching to them. He's baptizing them. He's got a very successful ministry, and yet he says to the crowds... There's someone else. He says to the crowds, there's one coming after me. And you know what? I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. He was so sold out on pointing others to Jesus. That when the crowds question him about who he is. The first words off his lips are, I am not the Messiah. He humbled himself. In John 3 and verse 30, he says, he must become greater. I must become less. So that's the second thing we can learn from John the Baptist is this humility, like the, the U.S. president who was once touring a nursing home. He was walking down the halls, and he, of course, had his entourage with him. He had uh, aides and reporters, and, and they came upon a, an old man slowly making his way kind of down the opposite direction. The president reaches out his hand to the old man and he says, sir, do you know who I am? The little old man kind of looks up from his walker and he says, I don't know who you are, but if you ask the nurses, they can tell you your name. (laughs) He was humbled. So we see in John the Baptist, he he is this humble servant. He says he's not even worthy to untie the sandals of our Lord Jesus. Jesus. His goal, his purpose is just pointing others to Jesus. Hey, let me tell you about a God. Hey, let me tell you about the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And then he didn't want his, when the ministry of Jesus does begin, he didn't want his disciples staying with him. He's like, and now you follow Jesus. He, he, he says, and now that's who your rabbi is. And now that's who you're going to follow around. Not following me anymore. You're following Jesus. He didn't want recognition. He just wanted to obey. Oh, how much can we learn from John the Baptist? (laughs) That it's not me in the spotlight. That it's not my fame and my glory and my kingdom. But that it's pointing others to Jesus. And yet it's easy to get caught up in that trap of, of wanting to look good. And wanting others to think highly. And wanting to be seen as successful. But we need to humble ourselves. And make ourselves about one thing. Have you heard about how remarkable Jesus is? That's what John did for us. So it says then in verse 9 that John was the one who baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. Think about this for a moment. This man who said he's not even worthy to untie the straps of Jesus' sandals. He is chosen to baptize our Lord. Isn't that just the upside down kingdom? The one who says, no way, not me. I'm not worthy enough to to go anywhere near him. He is far greater than I. But in God's kingdom, it's the humble hearted that are lifted up, that are exalted. Because our our values and our practices and our priorities, they don't align with the world. They're different. Jesus says in Luke 14, verse 11, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled And those who humble themselves will be exalted. If we want our lives to point to Jesus, then we've got to be like John the Baptist and say, he must become greater, I must become less. So we're talking about John the Baptist and how our lives can be like his. We've talked about repentance and humility. There's one more that I want to cover this morning, and it's sacrifice. It's actually not found in this section of uh, Mark 1, verses 1 through 8, because we have to jump... Ahead to chapter 6, Mark chapter 6, in order to see this. But what happens is that John the Baptist is arrested because of his preaching. Because because of his ministry, he is arrested, he's he's bound in chains. And uh, the king was Herod, and although there were many who wanted John to be killed and put to death, there's an interesting dynamic happening. King Herod wants to keep him alive. So again, you think about the parallels between Elijah and John. And Elijah spoke truth to the evil king Ahab unabashedly. And John did the same thing. To the king himself, told him that he was sinful, told him that he was in the wrong. But Herod, even though John confronted sin in his own life, even though he was calling him to repent, there was something intriguing about John and his message. This good news, this gospel, was truth spoken to power. And so Herod, the scriptures tell us, he actually liked John. He was intrigued by his message. And so maybe you know the story, but what happens is, just to kind of paraphrase, summarize. uh, So Herod has John, and he's in prison, but Herod liked to go and hear him preaching. He was intrigued by his preaching. But then one night there was a, a banquet, and the daughter of Herodias danced for Herod and for all of the guests. And he promised her anything she wanted. And she goes to her mommy and asks for advice, and they ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. So John paid the ultimate sacrifice. He gave his life because he was unwavering in his commitment to Jesus and his willingness to preach the truth. When people look at your life, do they see that same kind of passion that you're not going to falter, you're not going to stumble, you're not going to give up just when you're made fun of or when you're imprisoned or, or when the hard times come. You're going to persevere and you're going to stay true. Why? Because God has been faithful in your life. And, and that's what John the Baptist did. It was It was sacrifice everything. Why? Because he has found the greatest treasure of all in the good news of the gospel. And there's actually a parable that Jesus tells about that. <laughs> He he says uh, the kingdom of God is like a treasure that's hidden in a field, like a buried treasure scenario. And Jesus says that there's, there's a man who discovers or realizes that there's this buried treasure in a field, and he doesn't own that field. So what does he do? He gets everything at his disposal, all of his resources, all of his money, all of his inheritance, anything he can get his hands on, and he sells it. And then he takes that and he buys the field. Why? Because he knew that the treasure within that field was far more valuable than all of those other things. And Jesus says, that's what the kingdom of God is like. That when we give up the earthly things, when we make those sacrifices, even to the point of death, like John the Baptist, it's worth it. Why? Because Jesus is the greatest treasure of all. Because nothing compares to his greatness or glory. How can you put a price tag on the gospel? How can you put a price tag on your salvation? It's a treasure. And we, like John the Baptist, should be willing to make whatever sacrifice necessary. Why? Because we have found the richest life of all. Jesus calls it an abundant life. I have come so that you may have life and life to the fullest, he said. It's worth any sacrifice. Speaking of sacrifices, we know, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit because we're we're in Mark chapter 1. The day's coming will be in Mark chapter 16. But Jesus also paid the ultimate sacrifice. That he willingly laid down his life on the cross. And so, listen, as his followers, we too are called to make sacrifices. We too are called to lay down our life. If we want to point others to Jesus, if we want to be like John the Baptist, we say... Lay down my life, of course. Because what is my life worth compared to the gospel and the salvation of humanity? Our obedience to the Lord means a willingness to suffer for his sake. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a 20th century martyr. And he said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. words of Jesus. If anyone wants to come after me, he must pick up his cross daily and follow me. Is your life pointing to Jesus? Do others see you like a, a billboard on the highway that says, this way to Jesus. Go to the foot of the cross. He In him is repentance and forgiveness of sins when you humble yourself. Are you allowing God to use you to speak of his goodness, of his faithfulness, To share your own story of, I've been to the foot of the cross. I know his hand is gentle. I know his heart is filled with compassion. And that to help lead others there as well. This morning we are challenged to be like John the Baptist. A mighty man of God. And so I would encourage each and every one of us, prepare our hearts. First and foremost. Prepare our hearts for the Lord. To recognize Jesus has the power to transform our lives. Oh, that we would be quick to repent, to fall on our knees before Almighty God, confessing our sin, and then offering ourselves completely for God's purposes and God's kingdom. That we would be humbled, that we would pray that prayer God, you become greater and I become less. That our love for Jesus would enable sacrificial living. For the sake of our remarkable Savior. Let's pray together. O Lord our God, in this quiet moment, would you help us to prepare our hearts and our lives for you, for your lordship, for your reign. So thank you, Lord, for John the Baptist. Thank you for his life and his teaching and his ministry. Thank you for his humble heart. When he could have grasped the spotlight. When he could have increased his own fame and he chose not to. Instead, he just pointed others to you. And Lord, I pray today for those who have done wrong. And who who carry with them guilt and shame. Who feel condemned. That God, today would be the day they lift their eyes to you with sincere repentance. Oh, God, have mercy. That they call out on the name of the Lord and that they experience your forgiveness. Help us, Lord, to point others to the foot of the cross, that place where we've encountered you and we've been set free. Lord, we know this is only possible because of Jesus, our Savior, that remarkable Savior, who was indeed the Messiah, the anointed one, who came as our rescuer. And we pray it in his name, in his name alone. Amen.